online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Altitude Argentina. We head up the Uco Valley to find out why its wines have a license to thrill, what makes its terroir so special, what defines its Malbec why Chardonnay and Cabernet Franc have such a big future, and how biodynamic winemaking is taking off. Argentina has a long winemaking history, those wines rooted in its rich gastronomy, but it's also a rapidly evolving story, the changes over a decade or so, tangible to taste, as altitude has become more and more significant. In this special edition, we'll hear from some of its pioneering names, the likes of Daniel P, Sebastian Zuccardi, Silvio Alberto, and later we'll have the verdict of Alistair Cooper, MW, who tells us attitude matters as much as altitude. Mendoza province is by some measure Argentina's biggest wine-producing region, and it's there in the Uco Valley that we take up the story. Juan Marco is the CEO of Finca de Cerro, one of a new wave of premium producers. He gave me some historical context as we began our journey into the mountains. Well, over the years, I guess Mendoza as a region, as a producing region, has been evolving. Um, in the old days, of course, uh, the first uh, sites that were developed for vineyard growing were those that were closer to the cities at lower altitude and where the soils really allow for furrow irrigation. Um, then over the years, and as technology appeared in the region, especially drip irrigation, that really allows uh, the industry to move further up in altitude and to new regions where you have a different soil profiles. As, as you might uh, expect, some of these uh, higher regions, they are closer to the Andes range and the soil profiling is rather different from, from those lower uh, places soils. Uh, in general terms, I will describe those high-altitude soils with a higher content of sand and also there's pebbles. Uh, so, so then, of course, um, moving water without pipes uh, was rather impossible. So I guess, again, as I just mentioned, over the years, uh, with the appearance of technology, of new technology, uh, then the industry find itself in a position where they can really start exploring new regions. And... Um, over that exploration, we find it out that some of those high-altitude regions, they also are also um, the, the best growing regions to produce high-end wines. And that's related to uh, having lower rates of respiration in the fruit. That means that you keep uh, most of the natural acids that you have. And as you might be aware, Acidity is a great contributor of high-quality wine, especially if you want to age those wines. So, again, we find ourselves in a position where we could move up uh, from the early days. And just to give you an idea, some of the early days vineyards, they were developed in the eastern part of Mendoza at, uh, I would say, 600 meters uh, above sea level. And we do have today uh, vineyards in Mendoza which are higher than 1,500 meters above sea level. And that's very interesting because Argentina has a relatively long um, wine-producing history. Uh, you know, wine is part of the culture here. You uh, absolutely sense that the moment you eat anywhere. But at the same time, Mendoza is actually a relatively uh, recent story in terms of that evolution you described, isn't it? You are exactly right. I mean, for many re regions, uh, for, for many years, sorry, we, we were producing our wines for the domestic market. Consumers were uh, used to those styles. But then again, with the appearance of technology, uh, with the improvement of quality, 
uh, over the last uh, 30 years, there has been a major switch uh, in the production, in the quality of the wines, in the style of those wines, and also in the markets where we, we started to sell those wines. So consumers, uh, domestic consumers, they started to be exposed also to, do, to new styles, uh, to better qualities. And of course, uh, there was a move that has happened in many typical consumer wine regions such as Spain, um, I would say France, Portugal, and so on and so forth. Argentina was not an exception, and, and then populations started to switch from a higher frequency consuming uh, of uh, usually more uh, normal quality wines to maybe less frequent consumption of higher quality products. And I think all that happened together. And as you said, uh, really Argentina was exporting under 100 million dollars in wines uh, before year 2000 and uh, right now it's closer to a thousand million so so again it's tenfold growth and uh, of course uh, the production is more and more focusing newer styles newer developments new valleys uh, new 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 styles and so on and so forth and here at uh, Desaro you're very focused on creating premium wines that you have an eye on aging for a, a very long time. That's right, isn't it? Yes, exactly. When, when we started the project, and that was year 2000, we purchased the land. Uh, and by the way, this, this property sits at 1,050 meters above sea level. So, so we were part of this wave of uh, being in high altitude in these unique regions uh, that allow us to produce those wines that you just mentioned. Wines that could uh, be considered high-end wines, uh, great quality and great aging potential. Of course, uh, in those early days, we, we made a bet to ourselves and uh, we were expecting those wines to evolve with grace. Uh, but to be honest, uh, th there was uh, little experience, uh, at least for us and of course in this region. And, and we decided to, to see how those wines evolve in, in time. Uh, and the, the results has been amazing. Right now we are, uh, as you said, uh, starting to sell some of those H wines uh, with a lot of, uh, uh, how do you say, success. Juan Marco, the boss of Finca de Cerro, giving us an introduction to the evolution of Mendoza. Well, one of those who's played a pivotal role in that process is Daniel P., one of the most famous names in Argentine wine, working for Grupo Peñaflor since uh, 1992. He's now chief winemaker at its top brand, Bemberg Estate in Gualtallery. Uh, so who better to introduce us to its unique terroir? One of the most important things to know is that we are growing grapes in the desertic climate, the continental desertic climate, uh, in, in the western part of Argentina, in the, in the foothill of the Andes. And if you remember when you were a kid and, and they were telling that every 100 meters you go up, temperature drops like one Celsius is 0.8 approximately, but it's, we can say one, one Celsius less every 100 meter you go up. Well, we can have in, in a very, say, short distance when we move up into the mountains, near, near the, the mountains, uh, we can have big differences in temperature. We can see that we can move from, it's like moving from, let's say, the La Mancha to Burgundy in 20 kilometers or 50 kilometers. That means that we are growing grapes in here in Mendoza from 600 meters above the sea level in a very warm climate, but still desertic. And we move like uh, 80 kilometers and we are in, in Burgundy growing Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs in nearby the mountains. So this is the, the spread on temperature from 600 meters up to 1,500 meters makes a difference of probably nine Celsius degrees in the same journey. So vines are growing uh, in a different way. They breathe, they do the photosynthesis, and everything is related with temperature. So when you have a lower temperature, balance between photosynthesis during daytime and respiration, breathing during nighttime, the balance is quite big in, in terms of 
keeping all the things that you did during daytime and not burned during nighttime. So this balance means more color, more flavors, more uh, tannins, uh, and the wines are, are completely different when you go up in, in the mountains. You go 600 meters higher than other places, you have more influence of the UV radiation, which is important for photosynthesis. And of course, it's not just about altitude here, because uh, in Guadalajara, where we're standing, um, you have a really interesting um, and varied mix, a very varied mix of, of different soils. Just explain um, the, the soil conditions here, because they're obviously impacted by the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Everything is here is in, in, impacted by, by the mountains. We have what we call alluvial soil. What does it mean? It means that the material coming from the mountains uh, is washed by the rain or the melting of the snow, is washed downstream into the floor of the valley. When you are much closer to the, to the mountains, the slope is bigger, Mm -hmm. So the energy of the water is much stronger and he can carry and the water can carry bigger rocks. And when you go into the floor of the valley, the energy, the slope is, is, is lower and the energy of the water is also lower. And the, the material that the water can, can bring into the floor of the valley is, is thinner. So we are closer to the mountain here in Valtadari and we have gravel in the under in the underground say from in in the deep underground uh, and we have if we go from from the bottom to the top in the soil then we have an interface of calcium carbonate which is a kind of cement of cal calcareous cement with rocks and, cal and, and and calcium and the top soil is sand and is sand moved by a wind that we have here in in Mendoza is a wind which is coming from the mountains a very dry dusty and hot wind we call sonda the sonda wind that brings it's very dusty and through the years has been making a deposit on top of the, of the soil this deposit changes in in and varies in a, in, in meters in, into the, the vineyard. So you can have places like we are, we did the, the study in our vineyard, places in, in, in the same uh, block, in the same parcel, where you have uh, one meter, or places where you have only 20 centimeters of, of sand. And that makes that the, the, the roots uh, explore in different type of salt, different textures, and makes the, Obviously, growing in these conditions makes clusters and bunches with different flavors and taste. And this is the, the funny thing of where we are. And it's a wonderful diversity to taste. It also gives you the advantage that in these conditions, phylloxera will, will struggle so you can grow ungrafted vines. Just explain to someone who doesn't quite understand why grafted, which is the way of dealing with phylloxera for more than 100 years, why grafted versus ungrafted vines is significant to what we have in the glass? We are actually conducting a, a thesis for our, one of our winemakers, doing the differences, making them more statistical. We did by taste and we love all ungrafted vines, but we want to make it statistically statistically, in order to publish a paper and, 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 and be like a scientifically, uh, they say, proved that ungrafted vines are better than yeah. grafted. Beyond just the sensory experience of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. It's very exciting. Uh, another chapter in the story of, of this uh, emerging and, and, and really exciting um, region in the Valley de Uco. Um, just explain um, Benberg to many wine lovers. Um, you're making premium wines, and yet uh, the name has a lot of history, and yet not very much history. Just explain. Well, Otto Benberg came to Argentina 
say the second half of the 19th century when Argentina was a place to go and many people went to America. Uh, they, they were telling this, this boat goes to America and some of them go to North America and South America. And Argentina, we, we have a very nice stream of uh, people coming from Europe. And one of them was uh, Otto coming from, Otto Wember coming from, from, uh, from Germany. And he has a very long history because he came into Argentina in the 1860s. He married a, 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 it's a Criosa woman a, a, with a Spanish heritage and created a family and found a brewery. And the brewery was growing and the family was growing as well. And uh, after 100, almost 130 years, uh, they had to sell the, the brewery to these big monsters like uh, what it is today, AEB InBev. So with this money, the family decided what, what we should do with this. We want to keep doing something industrially or, or something that we can touch instead of having money, no? that which is very, uh, it can go in and out. Mm -hmm. but. And they invest in the, in the wine industry in 2010, uh, buying the largest uh, wine company in Argentina, which is a Peñaflor Group. But at the same time, uh, well, I, I worked for them and in, in we decided to create what it is, the, 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 the Bember Estate wine here in Gualtazari. And this is something, that's what we are, we are new, let's say new kids because it's only from 2010 when we are in the wine industry or the member are in the wine industry. But they have a long heritage. It's the sixth generation uh, running the company today. Daniel P, chief winemaker at Bemberg Estate on the genesis of that particular property, uh, producing delicious wines in Hualtallery. Well, to another great name next, Zucardi, now in the hands of a third generation with the charismatic Sebastian Zucardi at the helm. He is passionate about his terroir. He gave us an Uko Valley masterclass armed only with a box of rocks. Uh, but he's also a great believer in the power of concrete for maturation as well, which might have something to do with his grandfather's origins in the construction business. Okay, my grandfather started the winery in the 63, the third generation, but my grandfather didn't have any relationship with wine. He had a building company, but in the area where we live, that is a desert, the only way to cultivate is with irrigation. And my grandfather in his building company, he developed a very efficient irrigation system. So he bought the land, but his idea was not to dedicate his life to, to vineyard management. His idea was to show to other growers how his irrigation system worked. Luckily for me, he discovered that his really passion was cultivating the vineyards. So he decided to continue planting vineyards. But then when my father joined the family, he really put his life in winemaking. And this was the big growing of the family. Today we are the third generation in the family. We are three in the third generation. And in, the, in each change of generation happened a refundation of the family. And in our generation, uh, my family didn't cultivate in the Uco Valley. So I was the first that pushed the family to come to the Uco Valley. My sister managed the hospitality of the family. We have three restaurants in Mendoza. And my brother makes a very traditional activity for the area, but new for the family, that is olive oil. Yeah, and it's delicious as well. But that's uh, another podcast, frankly. Uh, so um, tell us what made you so excited about the Uco Valley? I believe that we make mountain wines, that the Andes mountain create quite unique situations or conditions in this side of the, of the Andes. When I say mountain wines, it's for five things. Landscape, because when you are in, the, in Mendoza and you see the vineyards at the foothills of the Andes, it's 
impossible to confuse where you are. The second is the climate conditions. We are isolated from any ocean influence. So it's one of the most continental wine areas around the world. But the Andes give to us the altitude and the altitude create cooler climate situations. But because we have no any ocean influence with a very pure sunlight. But this is a quite unique uh, combination of freshness and pureness of the sunlight. The third thing is the water. All the water that we use to irrigate come from the snowmelt, from the, from the rivers, from the mountain that, the, that come through the rivers and it's the water that we use to irrigate. The fourth is the soils. All the soils where we are cultivating are alluvial soils. This means that millions of years ago, we had big glaciers in the mountain. Then the earth heated, all these glaciers melt and the water come from the Andes to the flat areas pushing material. So all the areas where we are walking and where the roots of our vines are growing is material that millions of years ago was in the Andes. And the fifth is that we are mountain people. Everything that happened in our area is surrounding by the mountain. And this morning I explained you that when, when I, I feel that when you wake up in Mendoza, before you open the eyes, you know exactly where is the mountain. So mountain is part of our, our identity. Yeah, in that respect, it's like people who live in Switzerland or uh, somewhere like that. It, it, it is um, you, you just the air, uh, the, the landscape, you, you just live and, and breathe it literally. Um, but um, you uh, made a very interesting point earlier on about altitude can't be considered on, it own, on its own. You've got to think about latitude. You know, when you see a map of Argentina, you can see that Argentina is a long country. And 99% of the viticulture is near to the Andes mountain. But when you go to the north, you are going closer to the Ecuador. So you are moving to a warmer area. And when you move to the south, to Patagonia, you are moving to a longer latitude, so a cooler area. So every time that we talk about altitude in Argentina, we need to know where we are. Because every time that you go to the north, you need to climb higher. For example, in the north, we can arrive to 3,300 uh, meters above the sea level. When you come to the Uco Valley, we can't go out higher than 1,700 meters. So every time that we want to comparate altitude, we need to know the latitude. You're also obsessed with rocks and stones. Uh, tell us why you're so obsessed with rocks and stones. I'm obsessed about knowledge and about uh, precision. And my obsession is that we have to make wines that talk about the place uh, and be transparent to the place. And when we talk about the place, of course, climate is the most important thing and altitude and how close is the place to the mountain give our climate situations. But in the same climate situation, soils make a great difference and we have a great variation between different areas, but also inside of the different areas. So if I want to be precise in every vineyard that I cultivate, I need to have a deep knowledge about the difference of my soils in the property. So my challenge is divide the properties in parcels, that the parcels are the maximum unit that we can make with the same soil, make wines that talk about this uniqueness of every parcel in the property, and then I can, for some wines, blend the different areas. So my challenge is, my obsession is precision. My obsession is when I walk the vineyards, I need to know what I'm walking. I need to harvest each parcella, each soil in the right time. You have incredible diversity here. Um, you can be um, in 20 minutes uh, in a car. You can be in very different climate zones, can't you? Yes, this is one of the uniqueness of the Uco Valley. We talk about mountain wines, but we also have to talk about diversity. Diversity in two main important things, in climate and in soils. When we talk about climate, altitude is the maybe the, the main important driver in terms to understand the altitude. And you can be in the Uco Valley from 900 meters to 1,700 meters in 30 kilometers. And this creates completely different climate conditions. But also at the same altitude, in 10 kilometers, you can be 17 kilometers from the mountain or 800 meters from the mountain and this creates also diversity. If you cross the diversity of the climate conditions with the soils conditions is that we can travel in short distance for a very different expressions 
and very different wines. And your wines really do speak of the place. Um, you, you're not really influencing the wines with some of the uh, influences that have have been used elsewhere, like oak being the obvious one, but there are um, others. Um, your wines really um, speak of, um, a, of a kind of energy of the soil. Um, tell us how you're achieving that. You know, my, my life is the vineyard. And I believe that we need to make wines that talk about the place. And when you cultivate in different places in the Uco Valley, because the different climate conditions and the soil that you have, they have different expressions of the wine. And I believe that wine is uniqueness and identity. So all our philosophy is from the place to the winery. I like to say that we cultivate wines. We don't make wines, we cultivate wines. And I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for the uniqueness of the place. And I found that we have to reduce three things if we want to be uh, transparent to the places where we are cultivating. One is overripening, because when you overripe, you lose sense of place. The second is over extraction. And the third is that over oak. When you taste the wine that talk about the oak, you are losing sense of place. So all our work in the last 10 years has been make our place. And we found in concrete a great material to respect the place but the challenge is not concrete is good or bad or oak is good or bad our challenge is to show places in pureness and we find in our style of wine that concrete is a great partner in in the expression of the places and uh, i joked earlier on that there were more eggs than easter you know these concrete eggs everywhere um it's not just about concrete as uh, a material, um, there's also shape. Yes. All the concrete that we have in our winery is concrete that was made with sand, stone and water from the rivers in the Uco Valley. So there is a big connection between the place and the winery. And round shapes for us are very important because in the nature you don't have a square shapes. And when you have round shapes, all the work is more homogeneous. And we believe that there is a movement inside of the of the eggs or, or of the amphoras or the concrete troncoconic vats um, that keep the wine in movement. But this is inspiring in the nature at the end. But another thing that is very important because all our soil division is that in the winery we have 1,000 liters, 2,000 liters eggs, 3,000 liters concrete amphoras, and then 5,000 liters and 7,500 liters troncoconic concrete vats. So we have a lot of diversity in the winery to receive all the diversity that we have in the property. It's uh, you know, a real thrill to taste your wines. Um, they do absolutely speak of a place and they have, as I said, this is energy. Um, uh, this region, the Uco Valley, is about the same size as Burgundy, I think. Is it the kind of Argentina's Burgundy? No, the Uco Valley has the same quantity of hectares than uh, for example, Burgundy, 28,000 hectares. It's bigger because when you come to our area, it's not one vineyard next to the other because water is the, is the possibility to cultivate. So you have vineyards and you have many areas with, um, with native vegetation. My, my, you know, I don't want to be any other area around the world. I want to be the Uco Valley, but really, when I travel to Burgundy or Barolo, you can see that the focus is on the place. Okay, I want that, I believe that we want, we have to build our identity through the places. So the, the vision is the same, but we don't have to copy nothing. Sebastian Zucardi on the exciting terroir of the Uco Valley. Well, an emerging story it may be, but there is plenty of history behind it too, as the pioneers have led the march into the mountains. Bodegas Bianchi, established 95 years ago in 1928, is one such pioneer, still family-owned. It's one of the great brands in Argentine wine, and its chief winemaker is Silvio Alberto, a winemaking veteran in Mendoza. I think uh, I have uh, 30 years approximately of experience in the Argentine wine industry and it's incredible, no? It's, it's 
we analyze the time in the in this uh, industry and it's incredible uh, as the, the the wine changed because I remember 30 years ago we like to make a, a great wine but was the first step that we we do uh, to 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 make this wine that we now we taste the, this quality because uh, we we need to study about the 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 viticulture practice that we need to use for to obtain the wine because remember that we for example we introduced the the, the barrel in 1994 1990 and we prepared a wine for barrel but with some years more we understood that was a big mistake because we need to to create to develop the wine directly in the first place from the vineyard. Is when we understood this, the qualities increase, increase, increase. Because if you manage the vineyard to obtain a great wine, and then you have and apply obviously a very good winemaking process and very exactly wine making process uh, you can obtain a very good balance between fruit between uh, oak and uh, concentration also so it's a very important this you still have plenty of barrels so you're not saying barrels equals bad are you for me in the last year obviously we know uh, uh, we uh, we understood year to year, which is the, the evolution that uh, uh, we need understand also the wine hmm, or each varietal that we need to apply oak. For this reason, for example, the Malbec, we have an uh, year to year we use different style of oak because the Malbec is a very good variety. Uh, to obtain very fresh wine with uh, red fruit, uh, some spicy. But if you increase a little more the oak or the new oak, sometimes in the first plane you can find the oak and then the fruit. For this reason, year to year, we analyze and we reduce the new French oak. And now we are uh, using the amphoras. No? Because we know... And we understand that the Malbec is very sensible with the oak. Uh, the, I think that's similar to the Cabernet Franc. The Cabernet Franc likes more the, the barrel, but the third, four, or five use. In, in the Malbec, it's the same. No? We reduce the new uh, oak and uh, use more uh, amphoras and uh, used barrel. Obviously, the Cabernet Sauvignon or the blend, I think in our case, we use m a little more new French oak because it has more potential, more structure, and I think support more the new French oak. Just tell us what um, amphoras do uh, that is so important to... Uh, that 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 wine. What's the impact of the amphora? Uh, for me, is in the last three years, I am very surprised with the amphora. It's my first experience was in 2021, <clears throat> and sincerely, it was incredible. Uh, year to year, I increase the quantity of the amphora because the amphora maintain the wines totally natural. Is when you taste month to month during 12 or 14 months, and the wine is the same with a lot of fruit, very fresh. The tannin is, a, is a similar when you uh, analyze during the, 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 the harvest time, maintain this, uh, this fruit, this tannin. So uh, I, for me, it's incredible because uh, it's, uh, normally I have a, a, a lot of emotion when I taste the wine from Amphora because 12 months after of the vintage, I remember the vintage because the wine 
is exactly maintain the 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 node the very fresh node the tanning the very good acidity because it's totally inert the 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 amphora is you put the wine and 14 man is the amphora is a very good quality obviously you obtain a, a great wine we talk a lot about uh malbec it, this country kind of owns malbec as a variety these days yeah. in the eyes of most wine consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another grape that um, is less well known in this region, uh, is not automatically associated mm-hmm. with uh, this region and yet really shines here, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I love Cabernet Franc uh, from uh, this part of the world. And I think you made the first ever 100% uh, varietal Cabernet Franc wine. That's right, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. was in... In 20, uh, 2003, uh, I made the, the one of the first or the first uh, 100% Cabernet Franc in Argentina, and uh, was sincerely incredible uh, because obviously the the uh, the Malbec is our varietal insignia. It's our very important varietal in in the world, but now it's very important that. The, the world knows that Argentina is not only Malbec, that we can produce, we can make a Cabernet Franc. It for, for me, was a, a, sincerely it's my favorite wine. It's my baby, mm-hmm. I said, because uh, when in 2003, when I made the, the first Cabernet Franc, I remember the journalist said me, okay, Silvio, you are crazy. You, it's totally crazy because the Cabernet Franc is for only for blend. And I made the first varietal. And now in Argentina, it's very famous, the Cabernet Franc. 20 years uh, after, no? Uh, I think uh, we had the excellent condition for Cabernet Franc, for Cabernet Sauvignon. But also, I think now... In the first place, obviously, is Malbec, but and then it's Cabernet Franc. It's very important. Obviously, we, uh, uh, Argentina has not a lot of hectare of Cabernet Franc, but increase in Argentina year to year uh, more more quantity of the hectare of Cabernet Franc. And you're doing that here as well with yeah. two hectares extra every year, I think you said earlier. Um, what is it that makes Cabernet Franc so well-suited to this part of the world? Uh, I think that the Cabernet Franc here, in compared with other Cabernet Franc from the other country, I think uh, here we can obtain a, a very good, in terms of the first play, I like for uh, the tannin the are very sweet, it's, it's, it's incredible. And then in the smell, you can find uh, oregano. It's very uh, singular notes of the spices, pimenton, uh, sweet, sweet pimenton, and uh, it's incredible. Very complex. Uh, uh, the Cabernet Franc here, obviously, the Cabernet Franc has also some part of some terroir that you can obtain the best Cabernet Franc in terms or in compare with other terroir. But but in general, now it's very important because the same that the Malbec, you can obtain the, the, the Cabernet Franc for icon wine, but also for the, 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 the very good Cabernet Franc for every day. So you can obtain different uh, styles. And I think in Mendoza, it's a very good area for this variety. Silvio Alberto at Bodegas Bianchi on the amazing potential for Cabernet Franc at altitude in Argentina. Something else that has enormous potential too is organic viticulture and then biodynamic viticulture. You need the former to achieve the latter, of course. Chicana Winery, based in Agreo, has done just that as winemaker Gabriel Bloise explained to me. We decided to um, become biodynamic when we started studying the soils back in 2007. We realized by that time we were uh, conventional growing. We understood that our soils uh, were not allowed to give quality because um, there were no life uh, in the soils. So 
studying, we understood that organic and biodynamic uh, together were part of the solution. And particularly, we choose biodynamic because we think it's the only way to, to make unique wines. You know, when you are biodynamic, you diminish the inputs uh, to the vineyard. Uh, and you, um, it's not to say you are pushed to, but uh, it's like you need to make your biggest effort to produce using uh, or producing your own raw materials, like uh, making compost to fertilize. It's like bringing things from outside is forbidden. So uh, you need to perform your fermentations with the things you are, with the natural yeast, uh, and, and you have to explain basically all the amendments you do and why. So uh, I think next to organic, it really can express uh, uniqueness of wine and, and in a single farm and in a place. How have you seen a difference in the soils? Wonderful question, thank you. You know, when we started, uh, basically what you do when study soils is like digging holes and seeing the horizons, the profile. Soils are very important for, for grapes and from, for wine taste, but for the soil to to help uh, giving the taste to wine, you need, uh, you know, the roots need the microorganisms to, to uh, untake the nutrients. Um, so basically what we have seen were uh, soils which were very compacted compaction is very common uh, when you don't have a uh, um, live in the soil and when you have a single um for example for example a single uh cultive for example if you only have vines and you work the soil uh to keep it clear uh, then you keep going with the tractor and you compact the soil instead when you do organic or biodynamic you need uh, to have uh, cover crops um, and you need to create biodiversity. Biodiversity is the immunologic system for the for the biodynamic uh, method. And it's amazing how now when you dig a hole, you see roots. And actually, some people say the soil eats roots because um, they give air to it. And they, uh, of course, bring um, flora and fauna uh, to it. And that makes uh, life. Uh, and also, that starts the genesis of soil. So the soils um, has uh, constant a constant process of uh, recreating itself when it has life and uh, you have to be um, organic to be biodynamic and so you're uh, both things and, and certified a, as such um, and that means obviously you can't use um, any kind of uh, pesticide and you have a problem here which I didn't know anything about before I came here with ants in this part of the world just tell us how you've kind of pioneered a technique to kind of live with the ants okay that's a difficult question uh, because uh, of course to be to be to get certified by dynamic you first have to be certified organic so it's a requirement uh, and then you know in different parts of the world and different places here uh, the challenges for for this type of agriculture is different um, in the case from Mendoza and Argentina, um, since we are in a dry place, uh, creating fertility uh, is an issue uh, because humidity uh, helps a lot to, you know, the biology to, to the pedogenesis, uh, which is this uh, soil mechanism. And then the ants, which you mentioned, uh, are the biggest issue because they can be very, um, uh, their function in the ecosystem is bringing uh, fertility to the soil. Uh, but, but they do it by bringing, you know, like uh, pruning uh, all the leaves they, they find and all the plants uh, within them, they find a lot of vines. So a lot of our vines uh, got eaten by, by the ants. Uh, so we are still studying and we're trying to understand how to work with them uh, without killing them. Because of course they are part of the ecosystem, but they are still, I would say, the biggest issue for this type of agriculture now. And you're looking at giving them things they like more than vines, basically. Yes, we we uh, along to, to a group which is called Vinodinamicos, that is basically most of the biodynamic uh, wine producers from Argentina, um, which is only 10, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, have been studying their diet and their preferences, and we find out uh, which things they like. So we try to promote uh, those uh, other plants uh, in, the, in our vineyards so they can get somehow distracted. Um, also, we disturb them, you know, we, we destroy their home so they have to move. So it's not killing them, but they, they, they move so they are 
uh, destructed to to eat the the vines. But we still are trying to to develop a management, uh, trying to develop a management, uh, a proper management uh, to them. Well, it's it's really interesting, and and being here, you just feel it is alive. I mean, I'm looking at some cows and some sheep right now and some uh, vegetables growing here as well. So it's and it is very, very uh, beautiful and, and, and very uh, vibrant. And you can you can feel that uh, in your wines. So uh, I ploughed straight into biodynamics. So um, I haven't given you a chance to introduce uh, Chacana yet. So, so tell us about uh, the winery and, and what you're producing here. Wonderful. Thank you. Chacana is a winery that uh, started in 2002. Uh, here in Agrelo, Luján de Cuyo. Um, as I said, uh, in I got here in 2006, uh, 2007, pursuing quality, we got to study soils. And then since then, it was all a, trans a transformation to understanding what was best to the wine. So then we decided to, to transform the uh, agricultural process. Now we have uh, vineyards here in Luján de Cuyo and in Uco Valley, specifically in Paraje Altamira. So we have a, a portfolio uh, composed by, by wines from uh, our vineyard called Nuna. Um, we have sold for free wines, which are also biodynamic. Uh, we have two single vineyards from uh, Altamira and we have a range from Uco Valley, which is called Estate Selection. And, you know, I would like to point out, uh, as you mentioned, that you felt the, the life here. When we, we stopped, uh, I, I was just in the middle of the process when we stopped using chemicals here. And it was amazing how the fauna changed. Um, we started seeing more birds, and I don't know the name in English, but you know, the flies that turn lights uh, in the afternoon, which is lovely. I don't know. What's oh, I don't the know name. what they are actually, but yes, uh, but, but um, there are plenty of insects they came, here. Yeah, yeah. They, they came uh, when we stopped uh, using them, and of course, when you see the land and the earth, uh, it's amazing how it changed. Also, the, the porosity of the soil have improved. I mean, that that's the way we measured the results of the type of agriculture, and of course, we we think. I mean, this is the beginning. To, to make wines that can express the, the, the terroir and the, the soil. So then in the wine, our philosophy is not to intervent. So we only, uh, we, we practice um, spontaneous fermentation. We only use a little bit of sulfites and we try to avoid as much as possible any amendment uh, the, of things, you know, of raw materials which are not, which are not grapes uh, and, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Gabrielle Bloise at Chicana on a biodynamic revolution that's slowly taking shape in Argentina. Well, Alistair Cooper, Master of Wine, is an Argentina expert and indeed he lived in Mendoza for a number of years. Uh, he's also a member of the Senior Judging Committee at the IWSC and a regular on this podcast as well. I asked him how he felt winemaking in Argentina has evolved. I think there are many similarities with what's happening in Argentina as to, to many other new world countries, certainly Australia, South Africa and, and Chile as well. Essentially, I think the key take home, um, and it was Sebastian Zucardi who said this so succinctly when, when I spoke to him, is that is that now the, whereas before winemaking was... Con uh, Winemaking was considered to be, or the wines were produced in the in, in the winery rather than the vineyard. Now, producers tend to see the winery as an extension of the vineyard, and by that, essentially, it means that the the focus of of site and place has become far more important than than winemaking techniques. And that's not to say that winemaking techniques aren't important, because of course, there's with any winemaking there are there are. You know, you, you have to interfere. There's no such thing as a wine that makes itself. But that minimal intervention, that 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 effort to let the site and the specific site and region and village shine through the wines. Um, so I think that's the key sort of way that they're looking at things is to yeah, look, look far more at site than um, than than production in the in the winery. And that uh, sort of taps into uh, a fashion potentially for kind of uh, lighter, arguably more expressive wines, more expressive of their place rather than uh, expressive of, you know, um, oak, for example. And, and that uh, kind of, do you think that's um, the fashion driving what 
changing or do you think actually um, those people that you spoke to have been driving that and actually it just so happens to chime with fashion? That's a really good question, actually. And I think there's probably an element of, of, of both. And I, I think we've seen, you know, if, if we go back to 20, you know, the turn of the century, when I was living in Argentina, for example, in sort of 2004, 2005, um, there, there, there was, you know, such an emphasis at that time on, on oak and on rich wines and 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 that does come at the expense of of, of drinkability and I, I don't think I don't think that we would say that in Argentina they're necessarily looking for lighter styles because by its nature you know Malbec is a is a fairly you know rich and ripe wine and with the climate there you, you know you're not going to be producing wines at 12 12 and a half percent but the focus is is far more on you know we're still finding wines there that are 14 and a half percent yet they're more elegant because they're not they haven't got all the makeup um and all the tricks in, in that they're using in the winery to to make these wines plusher and richer and silkier but i think it's a it's certainly one of the things that's happened a lot in chile and in argentina has been the younger winemakers have been traveling more um, and before the, the older generation really did not know a huge amount outside of their region. So it's Mendoza, Mendoza, Mendoza. They might know what's happening up in the north, but they weren't really that clued up as to what was happening in the rest of the world. And I think that sort of knowledge share now has been really important for the younger generation. So I think there's, there's, there's certainly producers that are pushing this now um, that have been influenced by things that are happening globally. You're right to say uh, lighter isn't really the word. Maybe brighter is a a better word. I just wonder whether consistency might, to an extent, in terms of consumer perception, be uh, perhaps a casualty here. Because one of the amazing things about Argentine Malbec has always been this consistency, the fact that the customer knows exactly what they're going to get. And actually, they're undoubtedly making better wines, I think, now. Um, But I just wonder if that sort of broader palette and and style change to an extent might uh, slightly confuse uh, some customers. Again, that's 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 a good point, but I think it all depends on the price point that we're looking at. If we're looking at sort of sub sub ten pounds, let's let's look at that in the UK. What we look at the sub ten pounds, which is you know undoubtedly where the majority of, of, of Malbec is is sold, or majority of wine is sold in the UK. I think at that price point, um, what consumers want is drinkability, um, and I don't think, and I think there was a for a while, you know, there's a lot of oak chips being used. There was a and, and there was a sort of odd um, perception that Malbec, you know, should be have some oak and it should be it should be, it's a wine to go with meat. It's a wine to go with steak. Therefore, it should have some some oak and some depth to it. And I think actually consumers just at, at that price point want drinkability. I, I don't think. Um, I don't think it's going to be too confusing or too difficult for 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 producer uh, for for consumers to to get their head around it because fresher wines are, as you say they're they're more drinkable and I think you know the more drinkable they are the more people are going to buy them so I I don't think I'm too worried about consumers not understanding Malbec I mean Malbec as as well has become its own as Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand has, it's become its own sort of um, brand in many ways. You know, Argentine Malbec. People don't ask whether it comes from, from altitude, whether it comes from Gualtayari, whether it comes from Agrello, when it comes from Barrancas. They, 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 it's just Argentine Malbec, Man, Mendoza Malbec. Um, so I think it's got a very, very strong marketability and a strong following that I think that, that, that these little subtle tweaks won't, won't have too much of an impact on, on consumers. You know the country well. You lived there, as you said, and it's, I know, a, a country you, you really love. Did you leave feeling sort of inspired and excited by what you'd found? Yeah, absolutely. I I love... Do you know the, the thing? It's interesting, David. So we're talking here about, you know, these, these, these sort of fresher stars, these purer stars that really express their place. What I really love is that there are still some of those what we'd call more traditional style wineries as well. I, there's there's not just one size fits all. What, what I actually really enjoyed was these people, these pioneers that are pushing it in different directions, yet also these more traditional wineries that are that are, that are, are sticking to their guns and other traditional wineries that are still making these you know, more traditional styles, however, are tweaking things in, in the winery as well by using amphora. So there's, there's this lovely sort of... It, I think that's so important to have diversity in a country. So I did one thing I was really pleased is I think 
you know, the pendulum can swing too far. We've seen it in Australia. We've seen it with what happened with Chardonnay there, um, you know. And I really loved those traditional, more oaky stars of Chardonnay. And they were totally thrown out the window to go for these anemic stars of, of Chardonnay that we saw 10, 12 years ago. And the reality is the pendulum swung the other way. And, and the great thing to see in, in Argentina is that hasn't happened. There's people experimenting. There's people sticking to their guns. And there's everything in the middle. So there's something for everyone. So I think for me, that's really important to have this diversity. There's, there's not just one size fits all, um, but there are these people pushing the boundaries. And everyone seems to really work fairly well together, which um, which I like to see. I'm not sure if that's the case. You know, as you dig deeper, it's not always the way. But on the surface, there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of people working together and um, and trialing things and sharing information, which is which is key. So yeah, I came out really really excited as I always do. Um, always excited going to Argentina and South America. It's um it's a wonderful place. So yeah, it was great to be back. Alistair Cooper, MW, rounding off with his optimism for Argentina's wine scene. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. OK, let's finish with a selection of medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. And this year, for the first time, Argentina was judged in situ in Mendoza, working with uh, Wines of Argentina, with international judges, myself included, uh, including Master of Wine Beth Pierce, Rebecca Palmer, Master Sommelier Matteo Montone and Christian Norman, uh, joined by experts from across South America, including Amanda Barnes, uh, the process overseen by Master of Wine Dursiu Viana Jr., We tasted 430 Argentine entries between the panels and it was an impressive lineup that showcased the quality, diversity and increasing sense of place in the wines now emerging from the country. Combined with those wines assessed in London, a total of 444 medals were awarded, 11 golds, 150 silver and more than 270 bronze medals. Malbec led the gold medal count, 6 out of 11 golds, with two more gold medals received by Malbec and Cabernet Sauvignon blends. Uh, Two golds were awarded to Cabernet Franc wines and there was a gold for a Chardonnay from Gualtallery too. You can find out more about the potential for that particular grape variety in a piece that I've written for Club Enologique, if you'll excuse a gratuitous plug. Here are uh, just a selection of those uh, gold medal winners to get us started. Domaine Bousquet, a Mary single vineyard organic red blend 2020, one of the top wines from the Bousquet stable. This is a blend of 60% Malbec, 20% Cabernet Sauvignon, 10% Merlot and Syrah, respectively. It scored 96 points. And the judging panel said this, wonderfully rich, ripe and concentrated fruit on the nose with some secondary herbal spice and leather notes. A delicious black cherry filled core with polished oak, silky tannins and balanced acidity, long and serious length. And that was one of a number of golds, as well as silvers and bronzes for Domaine Bousquet. I'll be catching up with Anne Bousquet and husband Labide Ameri in a month or so, so do listen out for that. Bodegas Bianchi, where Silvio is chief winemaker, you heard him earlier, also scored one of the top results, another 96-point wine, so a strong gold medal for its Gran Familia Malbec 2020. I was lucky enough to be on the judging panel for this one. Judging blind, of course, but I still remember it. Uh, We said this, Complex and elegant, this wine has a beautifully expressive palate with wild bramble fruits, mineral layers and a delicate smoky character under floral purity. The tannins are firm but well balanced by a lively freshness and ethereal polished finish. Well done to Chicana as well, we heard from uh, Gabrielle earlier. Chicana's Aini Malbec 2020 scooped a gold medal with 95 points. The panel said this, elegant and perfumed with notes of ripe black and red fruits, finely grained tannins on the palate with undertones of herbal and balsamic textures, plus an opulent mouthfeel of pepper, spice and violets, a long and vibrant fresh length. So we've talked Malbec and Malbec 
blends. Well, here's a Cabernet Franc, a variety I get very excited about in Argentina. And this was one that came to our judging panel, I'm glad to say, where it won a gold medal. Antigal Aduentus Cabernet Franc 2019. We said this, heady and expressive with poached plum, juicy wild blackberry and ripe black cherry. There's soft, polished leather, nuts and coffee with dried rosemary and roasted capsicum, adding an enticing complexity and underlining an intense, brooding, bold sense of place. And finally for now, here's a Chardonnay that scooped a gold medal with 95 points. Bodega Argento Gualtalleri Single Vineyard Chardonnay 2021 is another one that I distinctly remember tasting. Here's our tasting note at the time. Precise and linear with an impressive fruit purity of melon, grapefruit and tangy lemon peel. An enticing mineral chalkiness with a touch of herbal complexity leads to a long, bracingly fresh finish. Elegant, fine and compelling. And that's it for now. We'll feature some more Argentina in situ judging medal winners in a month or so's time when we feature uh, Domaine Busquet. And don't forget our episode with Dr. Laura Catena. That was episode 113. Uh, But for now, my thanks to all my guests, uh, to our trip organiser, Sophie Jump, to Wines of Argentina, and of course, to you for listening. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter, or X. Uh, Look out for Club Onologique 2, and I am Mr. Venusaurus. For now, though, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.